Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the CEO and founding partner of BG Wealth Group, a group of companies with the mission to help others achieve financial freedom, personal and business growth, and overall success. He's an expert investor, author, and speaker with hands-on experience investing in real estate, equities, and index funds for more than 25 years. His mission is to help people from all walks of life maximize their success through financial empowerment to become millionaires. From Toronto, Canada, please welcome Craig Dunkerley. Hey, Craig. Hello, Dr. Gary. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, This is great. I I love having some of our international guests here being from the U.S. I was just talking to somebody from the Netherlands and uh, I'm I'm getting to travel around the world on Zoom and Squadcast. This is awesome. (laughs) Very nice. That's pretty much what we have to do right now, right? Exactly. So, Craig, talk to me a little bit about how you got started in this financial world. And maybe that's not where you started, but talk about your background and fill us in. I actually um, went into a corporate job in retail originally, but I've always loved finance. I'm a real analytic and I love the numbers. I love the money. And I was real fortunate when I was younger, my dad would teach me the house finances. So I always knew what their mortgage was, how much they paid for the house. They were paying it down to get rid of their mortgage. When they got a loan on a car, he kept me very connected to that. So I think I was very fortunate as a young guy where most people don't get that a little bit more now, but never in the past. So it led me on to a real interest in money. And I was doing my taxes for my parents when I was 12 years old. So it just became a natural for me. And I really enjoyed it. That's an interesting thing to be uh, their tax accountant at 12. Yeah. And it's not me anymore, but my accounting firm is still their tax person. So yes. That's great. That's great. You know, you make a good point. You know, your your father getting you interested in finance. Uh, when I think about it, I did not do a good job with my sons and wish I had taught them more about that when they were growing up. That's really great that your father had that kind of foresight. Yeah, it's unfortunate. In many families, it's a taboo topic to talk about money and share what your finances are of the family, what have you. But as I said, I was very fortunate it was the other way around. And, you know, my dad and I still talk money, his investment, his uh, taxes on a regular basis. So it's it's, it's a nice connection for us through our entire life. So uh, after your career as a 10-year-old in tax accounting, then where did you go? (laughs) So I went into, I actually went into retail. I got kind of headhunted when I was young, went into uh, retail to a large Canadian organization that is unfortunately no longer around. I went to store manager level at the uh, youngest in company history at the age of 23. And then I went into the buying office and, and kind of figured that I was a little bit more entrepreneurial than that. I needed to step out on my own and uh, start something. So I did. I actually started a renovation business because I loved real estate. I already had real estate properties that I was renovating and what have you since I was 23 years old. So I started that, had a crew of 12, had the accounting firm going, and then just really was loving the the numbers and the investing. I started analyzing index funds back in 2001. And that was my step into equities and index funds. My dad had always told me to buy into real estate. I bought two real estate properties that I rented out in my early 20s. 
So it just became a natural and it just flowed into owning an accounting firm, owning a um, property management firm, buying up properties. And I enjoy it and helping people. You know, I, I really started to realize as I talked to people, when I started analyzing index funds, I realized that many people weren't getting wealthy off their investments. And I figured out why. And it being in the index funds and the high fees that people were paying. So I started to actually train people and put together a course showing them how to manage their own investments and 60 to 70% of the losses that they were losing that they didn't realize. And when I say losses, I mean, not necessarily losing their investment going down, but 60 to 70% of the potential profits were being taken from them by their financial institution. So as I started to teach that, I started to realize that my true place in this world is to help people financially. You know, interesting, uh, a few years back, I got into looking at my finances more and looking at index funds and moved a lot of uh, my long-term investments in my IRA rollovers, my uh, self-employment pension funds and all that stuff into index funds and got them out of any kind of mutual funds and everything. Once I learned what you're talking about with the percentages of management fees for these things are 10, 15, 20 times higher than it is for an index fund and how that kills you over over compounded interest over the years. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. People don't realize it's 60 to 70% of the potential profit. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I talk about Warren Buffett quite often. Uh, He put out a challenge in 2007 to all the mutual fund managers, hedge fund managers in the world that he would put 380,000 into a... um, into an index fund, basically. He wouldn't warm Buffett it. He would just leave it sitting there for 10 years and he challenged any of them to, to beat him. And he absolutely blew him away. And it's just the cost of that fee is really destructive. And then the system I teach actually shows you how to balance it as easy as paying a bill online and you can do much better for yourself. So let's let's talk a little bit about leadership and something like that. How do you convince people that are locked into a certain way of doing things? You know, maybe they've been uh, investing in, you know, REITs or other forms of investments with equities and you give them a simple formula for index funds. And how do you convince them that they need to change the way they're doing things? You know, it's a repeated conversation, right? Bringing the same conversation back to them over and over showing the examples of what we've done already and how it compares to a regular uh, investment. But one of the things that I found was once I started speaking from stage, I often get a response from people who are in the audience that we can feel your passion. We can feel that you actually want to help. You're not there to just put us into your product. You are here to actually help. And I think that goes a long way to continuing the conversation And then, like I said, repeatedly, okay, here's the numbers, here's the numbers, and don't give up on people because it's hard for people to leave their institutional investing, right? Very hard to do that. So it's showing them, showing them, showing them until they finally say, you know what, I've had enough with where I am right now because I think the biggest challenge there is people aren't connected with their money. So they get these statements in, and I wrote about getting connected with with your money in the book chapter I did. They get their statements. And they really don't look at them. And I remember one lady, I I pulled her aside and she'd been introduced to me. So we looked at her statements and we went back 12 years. Now, this was back after the 2009 crash. So and it had come back up. I think it was somewhere around 2011. We went back 12 years and she had made nothing. Her account was the same as it was 12 years before. Now, sure, it had gone up it had gone down it had gone up. It had gone down, but it was completely level 12 years. She didn't make anything. And I told her. And she actually kicked me under the table when I did it. Like, don't don't shoot the messenger, right? I actually told her, 
that that hundred thousand dollars over the twelve years, her institution had earned over thirty four thousand dollars off of that investment while she earned nothing. And it's those little tidbits that you know start to show people, and they get it. They get it eventually. Yeah. You you went from doing it yourself to starting up companies to do it with you. And now we're talking about being this financial analyst and helper and all that stuff. But now you're running a company, companies. What, how, do, how do you run a company uh, of uh, or companies of accountants and, and analysts and, and money people and, you know, and connect to them with this passion that you have of helping people? How do you do that? So, you know, it's about... Same thing. Show, show, show. Right. So I remember and and hiring good people. I remember when I hired the current tax partner who runs the accounting firm now, when I hired him, uh, you know, trying to get an accountant, no disrespect to accountants, but trying to get accountants to think outside of the box isn't always the easiest thing. Right. I apologize. I hope I don't offend any accountants on the on the uh uh, I'm sure they'll agree with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but this one gentleman, you know, he was young. He was in his early 30s, and I could see his passion to do more, to do uh, better. So, whenever I was presenting to a client the investment side, I would always have him come in. He wanted to learn it. He would come in. He would listen. He would listen. And he would listen until a point where he was ready to, to actually have the conversations with clients himself, just like the introductory. And I remember it's when our offices were, I was still working out of the office at that point. His office door was directly across from my office door. And I'm sitting in my office and he's got a client in there. Word for word, he was repeating my spiel. It was like, wow, that is duplication. So, you know, when you got people like that and you just show them and show them and then they get there and you let them run on their own. He is now one of my lead people, my lead employees who actually brings leads to us for the investing. And we just got it. I get this, that you, this is smart kid, right? You bring him in, but you saw in him something that you look for that goes beyond the technical part of the work, beyond the accountant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I believe you have to do that with everybody you hire. You, ha- you have to buy- hire quality, good people, right? You got to hire, always look for the best. And that's why we do our interviews, obviously. But, you know, we we operate as a company in an enter- entrepreneurial space. You know, myself and Claudia Harvey, my business partner, we're very entrepreneurial. So when we hire people, we actually look that they have that entrepreneurial spirit as well. So one of the things that we teach, Hashem has taken over this course now, the, the, the tax manager. Uh, we teach people how to pay less tax and, and the whole purpose of why you should have a business to reduce, help reduce your tax rate. Right now, obviously, legally, you have to have an intention to make money. But he's taken over that course now. And finding individuals that are willing to do that. So he's willing to get up in front of people. He's willing to have that entrepreneurial, show people that they should be in a business and what have you. It connects with who are we are. And if, you're, if your team connects with who you are, I think there's a, there's a good way that there's going to be success on both sides. So how do you know that they connect with where you are? You know, I, I, I do, we, well, we do. We do our interviews in a couple of stages. Uh, one of the one part of the interview is the technical side going through their resume, but a big part of the interview for me is the personal side, just getting to know who they are, what they like, where they like to play, what their plans are five years from now, ten years from now, and get get a good understanding and get a feel 
that they really want to do what they're coming into. It's not just a job. They really want to do it and enjoy it. I think if, you, if, you do, if you're working because you need, just need a paycheck, it's very, very unfortunate because you're missing so much in what you could be doing in your job, whether you're a leader or a worker. Yeah, so you, you, you mentioned, um, you know, there's this thread that I'm hearing that when you get on the stage and people talk that, uh, that, that people feel the passion from you to help. Right. And what I'm hearing you say is you're looking for the exact same thing in those people that work around you that you can hire. You know, it's, I, I'll, I'll share a little quick story with you. I can remember many years ago when I worked for a Scott Paper Company and I used to get these little booklets and these little stories and little tidbits for management leadership, right? right? And this one was told a story about um, if if you can put up with people yelling at you, uh, uh, being disrespectful, occasionally even spitting on you and this kind of stuff, it's this terrible stuff. Um, if you can do all that, we can teach you how to drive a bus. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. And. Uh, you know, and, and we're we're in as we're recording uh, this right now, we're in times where, you know, things are, are challenging. Right. And since since March, our organization has hired 20 new employees and we are driven. We recognize that we're in hard times, which means we have to work harder. And we've hired 20 new employees and every single one of our employees is really put their 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 nose to the ground and pushed forward through this. It's not just the the CEOs of of myself and Claudia. The entire team is working hard and working very hard in a tough time. And when you get that kind of commitment from your team, you know you have the right people on board with you. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Uh, I was just talking to somebody else about this in our, our definition of leadership, and and I talk about making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Our, sure. our focus on compassionate accountability, yep. and how quite often we have a backwards that compassionate accountability. The balance of those two, when things get tough, people get more highly accountable, right? And 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 yet people are more motivated when things are tough. Yes. Yep. Because they're tough. Yep. They don't need accountability. What they need is they need a little more compassion, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more. Hey, you, you know, it's eight o'clock at night. You need to go home. <laughs> you, you, you need to just chill a little bit. Go go see your wife or your husband or your kids. And, yeah. You know, show a little bit of compassion. Remind them, yes, things are tough, but it's not the end of the world. So when things are good is actually when we need to be tough yeah. because people relax and the discipline goes down. Yes. So it's counterintuitive. Yes. And if you have the right people and you can have that conversation with them, because if they already have the passion for it, you want to direct that passion as a leader, right? How do you as a leader direct that in the right way with these people, with these, these people that want to do really good work as the leader? How do you help direct that, that, that energy? You know, I, I, give, I give the team the ability to go do uh, what they need to do and make the decisions on, on what need to be made. You know, come to me for support and for resource if you need my help. But really, this is your show, especially the seniors in the organization. This is your show and you can do it. And I'm here as a support person for questions or whatever you need from me. A good example is this exact week. We're buying three properties this week and at 1045 p.m., Rory, our individual who acquires the properties, 
He's calling me and getting me on the phone at 1045, and he's just gung-ho to acquire these properties. He, it is his goal to acquire these properties, and he will do it at whatever cost. At legally, I, I don't mean um, anything right, not, right, not right. right, but so he's giving me a call on the weekend. He's giving me a call on the evenings. And I remember this past Saturday, he was talking to me and what have you. And I actually had some more questions on Sunday for him. But I thought, you know what? <laughs> Rory has been busting his butt at night and on Saturday to get this deal done. I need to give him a break. And I didn't reach out to him with mm. those questions on Sunday. I knew he would have answered, but it was like, I can wait for Monday for these things to happen. But to your questions, it's given them the accountability, the support that they can do it. You're behind them and whatever they need, they've got it. Yeah. And I, I you know, and I want to, it's a small thing, but credit you with the fact that you thought about that for him and a lot of business leaders and oh, let's get this done. It's a great deal. People are excited about it. He'll answer the phone. Yeah. And sometimes we as leaders need to say, look, enough is enough. It's still going to be there on Monday and nothing's going to change. Right. <laughs> yeah. Write the email, put it in draft yep. and send it yep. at six Absolutely. o'clock in the morning yep. you know, yep. on Monday. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what I did. I set the email timer that it would not go until seven o'clock Monday morning. Mm-hmm. So boom, seven o'clock Monday morning, the email went out on its own. I, I, and it didn't need to go out. I know a guy that was uh, not exactly the, the the best leader in the world would do that at three in the morning and do it on purpose, making people so yeah. he people would think that he was working at three in the morning. So oh, <laughs> that was the kind of leader he was. I was like, <laughs> okay, next, next, let's bring on the next leader. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You're, I, I, you know, I think your people see through that, right? Your people definitely Eventually, see through that, always. and it doesn't give you any uh, credit or it didn't get anything, you know. Uh, our people, uh, between myself and Claudia, our people see us working. They know we're working hard. And when they see mm-hmm. us working hard, I believe it encourages them to work hard as well, to take on that same ethic. But, you know, sometimes you have to back off. And, you know, we've even, you know, been clear with the team sometimes, you know, I'm taking today off. Unless it's on fire, let's chat tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah, un- unfortunately, the last number of months, there haven't been as many as those days off because, you know, we have a responsibility to our investment partners. We have a, a responsibility to our clients. We have a responsibility to our employees that we do everything we can right now to drive this ship. So, yeah, but it opened. Yeah. So one in, in driving that ship, one of the things that you said was you, you, uh, you make sure that the seniors know it's their show. And and you throw it you throw in seniors kind of at the end because I know that you what you realized was you don't do that with a a, a junior you don't do that with somebody that walks in the right. door last week the boundaries yeah. are clear yeah. right talk a little bit about what what are the different boundaries and how do you move someone from like junior to senior and what's the process for people from a management leadership standpoint so that people can kind of understand that this is a process this is not just something that you've So for the most part, when when we hire, when I hire, I look for people who are interested in moving up, that they don't want to come into a role that this is the role that they're going to just live in and not go anywhere. So I really do look at people right from the start that have a goal to move up in their position, move up into management or what have you. And I found in doing that, when they come in the door and they start on their first day, we're already getting that conversation going as to here's what I do and here's where I'm going. 
I want to know what their goals are right from the start for themselves personally and for the job. And if I if I know that, then I can make sure that I am directing them in a way that is moving in them in towards their personal goals as well. So it, it's a conversation right from the start. And I've always said to every employee, almost every employee who who joins the organization, my goal is that you take my job, right? I can't step away from the responsibilities I have. Not that I want to step away from my responsibilities, but I can't step away and elevate myself or move on to my own retirement unless I develop people under me. We have to have a succession planning. And nobody should be concerned about the person underneath them taking their job. Because if the person underneath you is taking your job, it means you've set yourself up for the next job that you're going to move into. So have you ever had somebody working with you that doesn't think that way and that you you, know, you found out after the fact they get hired and they're kind of restricting and holding people back and you see that? And when you saw that, how, how did you handle yeah, that? Yeah, I definitely have. Um, you know, there's some people who just don't want that. And, you know, in, our, in, in the accounting firm, uh, we have people who are bookkeepers. We need those people who just do bookkeeping and don't want to go for, for anywhere from there. The people who just sit down, they're the clerk, they do the job. So we do need some of those people as well. But one of the things that we actually do in our organization, we use some personality testing to when we hire to identify what somebody's skills are, what they really enjoy doing. And it's amazing when we do these, when when we hire people, because people come back to us and say, holy smokes, that was so accurate. That is me. But then what we've done is we've taken a chart. So the accounting firm was the first ones to do this because they had the most employees at the time. They took a chart and in a single office, they laid out everybody and what their strengths were, their top five strengths. And then we didn't go into weaknesses, just their top five strengths. And it was amazing as you looked at this chart where you said, okay, if we have this issue come up, that person should do it. If we have this issue come up, that person should do it. And what we found is people were naturally enjoying their work because they were put in a space that they're mind their body automatically went to. And when we did that, we found more people got themselves involved and actually wanted to step up into higher roles because they were actually really enjoying the space they were in. Well, you know, you've just touched upon a very important point in some of the research recently about people finding their passion. You know, I said, let's find your passion. Well, most people don't know what their passion is. Exactly. But by some of this testing, like you're talking about strength finders, and we use strength finders or strength-based leadership and understanding what that's exactly that's exactly what yep. we use. Well, when we you use, said uh, five, I knew I knew it was strength finders, yep. and it, it's a great tool right. um, with Gallup, and they yep. you can find out what yep. what people's. We use strength based leadership because strength based leadership allows us to look at those five categories of executing, relationship building, influencing, and strategic thinking to right. even further delineate the strengths within those those uh, domains that they call them, and then to find out where people's strengths are within the team so that you line that up, right? Yes. But yeah. the thing that's fascinating about the research says that if you know if you know what your strengths are and you can find work within a, a group of people or an organization that you, you like, you like the people, then it really doesn't matter what you do if you get to use your strengths. Right. And that's yeah. what you're doing is you're applying pe- the, the strengths to a job or a, a hybrid of some job that somebody does well that contributes to the team and they get to use their strengths. I mean, what better thing can it be for an employee to be able to walk in every day and say, I get to use, and 
And the thing about these strengths and talents that people don't often realize is what seems to be miraculous results are easy for these people, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You're 100% right. And, you know, I'm an analytic and my business partner, Claudia, she's a strategic. She's high strategic. I'm high analytic. And we found just finding the right partners to work with as well can be good because um, she doesn't like the, the, the analytic, the numbers. I'm not particularly a fan of the strategic. So finding the people to work side by side with that have those strengths makes you a stronger executive, a stronger leader as well. And, you know, a number of people are amazed at the quality of business relationship Claudia and I have because what we both bring to the table is very strong, the analytic and the strategic. So finding the right people to partner. There's another piece that has to be there. There's another piece that has to be there for that to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's to be able to know, and I love hearing you talk about this, Craig, because to know this is what my strength is. This is what her strength is. I don't like to do what she does. She doesn't like to do what I do. We stay in our lane, but we can still communicate with each other and our perspective on each and how they come together. And with that high level of respect creates such a strong team. Yeah. Yeah. And and as a leader, you know, it's, it's sometimes tough as a leader to step back and let somebody else take control, right? Like we're, we're alpha, right? Right. We, we go, we go, we go, but respect. I can sit in a meeting with Claudia and recognize this is her space. We're we're talking about something right now that's her space. She is the one that should lead this conversation and I can step back. And the opposite is true when we move to the analytic side. She recognizes that's my space. It's time for me to step up and she can step back. So out of recognizing respect that this is what you're good at, run with it. So when you kind of put this, night, my you'll learn the way my brain works, Craig. So brace yourself. Um, <laughs> it's a little scary because as you're talking about this, my brain is going through this mental process of first engaging in a conversation to understand what the strengths are. So there's a recognition of the talents and the strengths, respect for each other in that. And then over time, being able to demonstrate in the team the competency in the application of those strengths so that a high level of trust is created. But underlying that is a level of vulnerability that allows you as a leader to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not good at that. And if you're not willing to say that, if your ego isn't willing to get out of the way, like you said, I'm the alpha dog or I'm in charge. But if you're not willing to do that, everybody suffers. Yeah, and it's, you know, as you build those relationships, especially over time, as you work together more and more, you trust. You trust that the other person is going to make the decision that is right based on their strength and how they think we should move forward. Now, sometimes, you know, we're we're not right 100% of the time, right? Sometimes things don't go go the way you thought you wanted them to. But if I turn to the person who's strong in something in my organization and they've shown that strength and they're good at it, I respect it, I trust them, then I have to let them go in that in that direction and trust that it's the way to go. And most of the time it is, sometimes it isn't, but you can't come down on somebody. For that. Well, it, I think you, you've pretty much summed it up by going to trust. I mean, that's, that's where it comes to. And, and, uh, if you think somebody's going to be 100% right all the time, then that expectation is the problem. I mean, none of us are. 
It kind of reminds me of that Voltaire uh, philosophical quote that says, uncertainty is uncomfortable, but certainty is absurd. So if you're certain that you're going to get that right every time, then it's just absurd. It's crazy. Right. Right, right. The only thing that's the, the only thing that's certain is uncertainty. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we should. We'll have to write that down. So we've got Voltaire and we've got Craig. So we, I'm sure I got that. Someone else. Philosophers. So let me ask you the final question as we wrap this up. I always like to wrap this up with a final question, Craig. And the question is this: yeah. is you you've been through an interesting career. You know, we started this podcast talking about uh, doing your taxes for your parents when you were a child. I trusted you to do that. That was great going into retail and then into finance, starting a couple of businesses and really finding some real success for yourself and really enjoying and having a passion to help others succeed. That's at the core of what you talked about. But if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20 to 25 years, dear Craig, what would you say? Right. So I have actually written this letter already, Gary, uh, attending an event some time ago that encouraged to do that. Basically, I would have told myself to start earlier. Uh, now, I, I know I said, you Before know, 10? I mean, come on, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had my own businesses uh, when I was younger. But no, I, I would have started earlier in personal development. You know, I, I believe strongly in if you want success in something, find somebody who's had success in that space and connect with them, do what they do. Uh, I believe that's Robert Kiyosaki. Don't quote me, but I believe it is. And I believe strongly in that. I would have started personal development a lot earlier. I would have connected, although I, I took real estate courses when I was in my 20s, I didn't get into the real personal development, Tony Robbins, and, and listening to people like Warren Buffett until I was probably in my 30s. So I would have started that a lot earlier. And that's what I would tell myself. You know, start learning from the people who've had success in the area you want success because it will bring success for you. Okay. Is there anything particular in personal development that you look back on and that you would would like to have started developing sooner? Definitely. So the first personal development course that I took was actually a business course and it was in marketing. And the trainer, he had a second course that was called Train the Trainer. And that encouraged you to get up and speak in front of people. And prior to that, if there was me, you, Gary, and one other person in the room, I would have nothing to say. Even though I knew I had lots of knowledge, I was shy. I was quiet. I would not have anything to say. He forced me to get up on stage. He forced me to get up on stage. And I know how many people worry about getting themselves up on stage. But challenge your shortcomings. Challenge your fears. And he put me on stage. And I now speak on stage, unfortunately, not live stages right now, but I speak on stage and it became one of the favorite things I do in my business. I so much enjoy the energy of coming off of stage and people coming up to me and saying, wow, I can feel your passion. Let's talk. Let's move things. And he, he challenged me. And I remember there were probably 30 people in that training room, and I was the last one to get up and do a 10-minute presentation in front of the room. And now it's one of the favorite things I do, sharing my passion, my love with other people. Yeah, I can remember years ago, some tapes that I listened to with Ken Blanchard and Jennifer James, and Jennifer James said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Step through so, it. Absolutely. I agree. Step through it. Yep. I love it. 
Well, Craig, I really appreciate your time and your your wisdom today and talking about all kinds of things. I, you're the first 10-year-old accountant I've ever talked to. And uh, you talk about starting early and really excited about what you're doing to add employment for people. You said you've been hiring people. That's really amazing and great that uh, you're able to do that and helping people find their their legs in their own voice. Like you said, with the work that we do in leadership is a responsibility, not a position, is really helping people find their voice so that they're heard and they speak up at the right time, the right way yeah, at, the, at the moment that's necessary. So thanks for speaking up today. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate you having me on. It's been fantastic. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And thank you again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>